So, eschatologists. <laughs> it's on. And thanks for the reminder, Ernie, because I forgot to say hi, Cindy. Hi, Cindy. <laughs> I was at Cindy's house today um, and uh, and uh, took a picture of her of her scar. Because that's what guys do, I think, you know. I thought that was interesting. Uh, anyway, she's doing great. And uh, the first thing she mentioned uh, when I came in and sat down was um, how excited she was when she listened to last week online. And the first thing that happened was everybody said, hi, Cindy. So that was kind of fun. So uh, taking a look at this end-time study in the, in the tribulation period, um, um, we need to do just a little bit of review, don't we? Because we need to stay uh, current with what we've been looking at so that we have a good baseline as we move forward. Because the study that we're doing uh, in the end times really builds on itself. Because there is a chronological order to the events that are going to happen. And there is some question about the chronology, meaning just exactly in what order some of these things are going to happen. And that's good. And we're going to actually look at a couple of things this evening that might be even uh, uh, Marvin, when he was praying, said uh, difficult. And these things can be difficult. Um, But uh, I would encourage you to consider that they're challenging. (laughs) Um, as, as is the case with apocalyptic language that we see in, in, uh, in prophecy and in revelation. It's interesting that none of us usually just go right straight to revelation for an easy read at bedtime. Because <laughs> it's a little challenging, is it not? It's just a little challenging. So last week as we started to take a look at the tribulation, the tribulation and just plain tribulation, uh, we took a look at there, there are really both, right? Because life is full of tribulation. There are just trials and tribulations in life. And scripture tells us about those things and that we're going to have them. And then specifically, there is the tribulation. And so we don't want to get those two things confused. So we will all be in an op- we will all have opportunities for tribulation in our life. Probably today. Probably today. And uh, and then there is the tribulation. Uh, and if, if you've been here for the last few weeks, uh, you realize that that uh, uh, certainly uh, I have come down on the side of uh, being a, a pre-trib person, meaning that that the rapture of the church is going to happen before the tribulation takes place. So if you're a believer, I don't I I believe that we're not going to be there. Believers are not going to go through the tribulation. That is a popular position, but it is not a holistic position in the church. Not everybody believes that. And we're going to actually take a look at that just a little bit. But nonetheless, there are these two tribulations, the kind that happened to us and the kind that we're not going to experience. That is the tribulation. And we took a look. We started to take a look at the Antichrist. You remember uh, um, anybody want to? chime in on something that perhaps they learned over the last week or two about the Antichrist from our study? He he succeeds at everything he does. He'll have exceptional powers. 
He is the master liar. The master. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly right. And, and we know that the Antichrist uh, and the spirit of the Antichrist is, is here. Okay? We don't know if the Antichrist is alive right now. We just don't know that. Is it possible? Yes, it is. It's possible. Uh, we know that the spirit of the Antichrist, according to Scripture, uh, is in the world. Okay? And so we're going to look at that a little bit this evening as well. And so, and remember, we looked at what does Antichrist mean? What does, what does the word anti mean? Against, opposed to, or instead of. I like that. So, uh, opposite, opposed to, or instead of. Okay, remember that because we have to we have to think about opposed to and instead of because that's significant as we look at the Antichrist going forward. And so we know that the Antichrist, according to Daniel six twenty six, is the prince who is to come. He's called a prince. There's a reason for that because he will look like a prince to those that are here. He will look like a prince. This is going to be a very popular man. A very popular man. That's why he couldn't be Obama. <laughs> that's right. His, his, I'm sorry. <laughs> that's okay. That's, that's right. Marvin, Marvin couldn't resist. Yes, you're right. That's why he could, it couldn't be Obama, because his popularity is low. Um, but Second Thessalonians 2, 3, and 4 says that he is the man of lawlessness and destruction. So this is a popular guy, but he is going to be lawless and destructive. That's interesting, isn't it? Because isn't that kind of isn't isn't that kind of a paradox, like an oxymoron? How can you be popular and be a liar and a destroyer at the same time? He starts one way and he ends up the other. Exactly right. And we briefly touched. Mm. Yeah, and so we we know uh, quite a bit about Satan from from Scripture, don't we? The the you know Satan is a fallen angel, and he was sitting there with with God, and the problem was he wanted to be God, and and he was he was a, a um, yeah he is a he's a beautiful being. Sounds weird when a man says that about a about an angel that that. That, that has a masculine uh, tense to it. But nonetheless, uh, a beautiful being that is that is that is uh, uh, personifies evil, evil. Well, and so current, not current, but in our lifetime, an example of somebody who was well liked but was evil was Adolf Hitler. I mean, but he was a man for the hour for the people in Germany. That's right. And he, you know, they didn't know what was going to be it. In the end, and that, that's the way it will be with the Antichrist. That's the way it will be with the Antichrist. So you're right. Adolf uh, Hitler is a almost like a foreshadow of the Antichrist. And there are biblical characters that, that are foreshadows. There, there are, were biblical characters that were quite evil. Uh, I, I, you know, read in Scripture, go back to the Old Testament and, and read uh, uh, Kings. And I, I love... 
I, I love reading Kings sometimes because it's full of stories. I like stories. And, uh, and it always starts out that uh, they give the name of the king and it was always somebody, it was somebody's uh, son that took over for the father and he, he did not do right in the eyes of the Lord and he was, he was evil. And then there were some good and there were some bad and it seems like most of them were bad. Isn't that interesting? Uh, but there, there, is a lot of, there was a lot of evil uh, in, uh, in the world. There still is a lot of evil in the world. And in this Antichrist, the spirit of, of which is already in the world... Because what is the spirit of the Antichrist? What is the spirit of the Antichrist? Deceit. 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 But what is the what if we go back to the to the to the genesis of the of that of that language that's in first John four three talking about that the, the spirit of the Antichrist is already in the world. Disobedience. Sin, disobedient, and who? Satan. Satan. So let's let's think about it that way as we go forward in terms of the spirit of the Antichrist, because uh, who is the personification of evil? Satan. Okay. so we just let's just remember that as we go forward, because Satan is, of course, a very key figure throughout the tribulation period. And there are going to be some things that that are going to happen that that unleash. Uh, Satan and he will have powers uh, that he does not have now during the church age and so and we will see that maybe tonight we'll get there I'm not sure but the Holy Holy Spirit is going to be gone and the the one who restrains the one who restrains evil will not be in the world, and and that's right. And it actually, um, John, it goes even a little bit beyond the Holy Spirit, and we're going to take a look at that. So the restrainer, we're going to look at Scripture that says there is a restrainer in the world that is holding Satan back from his miraculous powers that he is going to have during the reign of the Antichrist. And, and we have to take a look at that restrainer because we would naturally think there are several opinions on that. And, uh, and we have to take a look at not what our opinions are, but what Scripture says. And, uh, and, and that's a good one because when the, res- when the restraint is lifted, there will be horrific activity that takes place at the hands of Satan because he is the evil one and he is evil personified. And so the last half of this tribulation period is going to just be horrific. And we're going to look at it. We're going to look at what he does and, uh, and how he does it because that becomes pretty important. But we know that he's brilliant and he's perceptive. He's persuasive. Very persuasive. We also know that he is amazingly articulate. Articulate. This is a man that is going... You've heard that story about the salesman, that this guy could sell refrigerators to Eskimos. This, that's going to make that almost seem foolish because he is going to be so articulate and so persuasive that he is going to persuade the whole world. He's going to be a political genius. He is going to be a military genius and he is going to be a religious genius. He will be genius. Period. Like no one ever on the face of the earth. Ever. That's what he is going to be. So we ended last week by asking a few questions. Okay? 
And so I want to read those questions again because there's there's three or four of these questions that we're going to answer tonight. As we look at the Antichrist and the beginning of the tribulation period, and do we remember from last week what the what initiates the tribulation period? There is an event that is going to start the tribulation period. The signing of a peace treaty with Israel. Yes, the Antichrist is going to be almost like a savior that is going to come along and he is going to broker a peace treaty with Israel for seven years. Well, this has been there have been people attempting to do this for about 2000 years or so. (laughs) And in, in our life, well. Not some of our lifetimes, but in some of our lifetimes since 1948, when Israel became a state, okay, um, or a country as we would call it, um, uh, they've been attempting to to broker peace since that that point in time, and they're and they're far from it. They're far from it. Um, and the United States is the biggest ally of Israel, and we're always there to support them, and we're always in peace talks, and we're you know we're in peace talks, peace since I was a since I was a boy this big, and I could understand anything at all. I've heard about peace talks with in surrounding Israel, and they're no closer to peace now than they've ever been, and they never will be. Now, anyone that would read their Bible and understand end times prophecy would understand that there will be no peace until. The Antichrist brokers a peace transaction. Okay? Unfortunately, it'll be very short-lived. But nonetheless, that's what ushers it in. So, we were asking questions last week. Is the Antichrist alive today? Where does he come from geographically? Lots of debate about that. Is he an American, a European? Uh, does, he, does he come from Iraq? Is he, uh, uh, you know, where? Uh, and of course, the answer is, we don't know. <laughs> we don't know. We're not told. And so, uh, and, and we asked last week, how long is the tribulation period? It's amazing in the church. Um, you know, we looked at the scripture that says, hey, don't be ignorant about these things. But, so how long is the tribulation? Seven, seven years. years. Yeah, because the Bible says so. Is there a year Yes, actually it is. And we'll look in Daniel tonight and it's, it's, um, uh, it's, it's couched in different words. It's couched in words of seven. Now, seven is a very... Um, uh, a very interesting number uh, in Scripture. Um, and we're not going to go into those kinds of things because that's a study in and of itself. However, we're going to see in Daniel seven sevens, for example, and seven is a year, and there are seven of them. So there are seven years of tribulation period. And we'll, we'll see that in Daniel tonight. And um, so, and then we asked ourselves the question about, you know, we, who, who are these 144,000 in the, in the Bible? It's really interesting. There's a lot of debate about that. And yet, Scripture's really clear who the 144,000 are. That 144,000 number gets, gets bantied about a lot. Um, and, uh, and yet, we're, we're going to see who the 144,000 are. And, and what about the mark of the beast? Anybody, can, anybody in this room confused about 666? Okay, Linda, that's good. That's fair. That's fair enough. That's fair enough because there's this whole mark of the beast. You'd be surprised how much there, there are misconceptions about that. And we, and we need to know. We need to know. Doris? They were trying to put a chip in everybody in the world. And I heard on the news by 2017 they should have world chipped. 
Well, the world should be chipped by 2017. I got five. I don't have five cats. My wife has five cats, and they're all chipped. <laughs> Yours aren't chipped. Oh, I'm surprised at that too. Uh, and, and that's interesting. So we're going to look at it biblically. We need to take a look at it because um, because it, you know the, the Bible it gets to be interpreted if we're going to do this accurately on a literal basis where we can. Okay, where we can interpret the Bible literally, we should interpret the Bible literally. So, uh, and then we asked a question last week: Will anybody survive the tribulation? Will anybody survive the tribulation? Because you see, some people believe that there is this battle of Armageddon and that it is going to be like poof. The, it, everything and everyone will be destroyed. Well, we're going to take a look at that tonight. We're going to take a look at that tonight. And then the other question that I thought was interesting from last week that, that was posed was um, uh, this idea in Scripture, and is it biblical, uh, is, does the Antichrist die and is he raised from the dead? That's a really interesting question. That's a really interesting question. Because if you think about how popular this, this individual is going to be, think about it, and we're actually going to get there tonight. We're going to take a look at this because think about it for a second. If that's true biblically, and we, it, it needs to be biblical to be true, but if it's true biblically, if the Antichrist actually comes and, is, and dies and then is resurrected from the dead, that has unbelievable implications, doesn't it? I mean, amazing implications if that is true. And so, um, and, and the other uh, really good question from last week is, um, what's the purpose of the tribulation? I mean, what was God thinking? Well, you know what? I don't know what God was thinking, but I know what the Bible says. And the Bible actually tells us the purpose for this this judgment period that is going to take place. And it actually lists the people in groups purposefully that this tribulation period is designed to deal with. It's fascinating when you think that God has revealed to us the purpose behind the tribulation. Because to our way of thinking, in my opinion, which doesn't mean much but in my opinion it would just i think it would be a lot easier god if you would just could you just drop the curtain i mean do, do we really have to go through this I'm not we we're not going to be there but i mean there's this is hard stuff this is hard stuff so anyway they, these are all really good questions and so we need to so we need to um we need to ask why do we need to know this stuff, by the way? We need to be prepared. The Bible says we're not supposed to be ignorant. That's two good, that's two good reasons why we should know this stuff. Yeah, so it says to be, not to be ignorant and not to be uninformed. The Bible couches it in the negative, not the positive. Um, so don't be uninformed and don't be ignorant. It says in First Thessalonians four thirteen. We looked at that. We looked at that last the last couple of weeks. And so here we are, so that we're not going to be uninformed or ignorant, right? And so we're being obedient to God at this very moment. He's told us not to be those things, and we're not going to be because we're going to study this and we're going to learn what He has to tell us. And so uh, another good reason is, is of course, God's word is all inclusive, isn't it? It's all inclusive. 
It's inclusive of everything he wants us to know. There isn't anything in the scripture that he doesn't want us to know. And everything that is left out, he, for his purposes, doesn't want us to know. So be very careful as we go into the study of these end times and the tribulation and the events that are going to take place that we don't start uh, putting a spin on it. Okay, we can't put a spin on it because it's amazing when I watch Christian television or what resembles Christian television these days. It's amazing these people that come up with and they write books too. I've read a couple of books lately that just blow my mind. And and some of these some of these fellows that are writing these books on end times prophecy are quoting scripture. And I look at the scripture and I look at the book and I look at the scripture and I look at the book and I'm thinking, are you reading something that I'm not reading? Because I don't have a clue how they come up with some of these conclusions. And it's speculation on the one hand that they couch in truth. And we just can't do that. Okay? We just can't do that. Either God's word says it or it doesn't. So we have to be very careful. We can, we can speculate without concluding. But we can't speculate and then formulate an opinion based on our speculation. Okay? It has to be biblical or, uh, or it just doesn't work. And so uh, turn to 2 Timothy 3.16. And as is normal, all the scriptures that we're going to use tonight are in order in your on your uh, little handout. This will be a scripture that's very familiar to to y'all. And if somebody would read it, that would be good. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That scripture says, study it, know it, apply it. So study the scriptures, know the scriptures, apply the scriptures. As it relates to the end time study, study the scriptures, know the scriptures, apply the scriptures. End time study is applicable. It's applicable. How much of the scriptures? All. Yeah, not some. Okay, so here's the challenge. The end times are one thing. The book of Numbers is something entirely different. <laughs> but why does God, why does God reveal to us the the whole of Scripture, all of Scripture? Why? He wants us to trust Him. We're on a need-to-know basis. I love that. We're on a need-to-know basis. God has given everything to us that we need to know. And since we trust Him and Scripture, that's good enough. That's good enough. Another reason not to speculate and why we need to do these things. Why we need to study these things. Why it's important for us to be informed. We're going to learn a lot over the next couple of weeks about the nature of Man, that's us. If we don't already know, we're going to learn a lot about the nature of us. We're going to learn a lot about the nature of God. And we're going to learn a lot about the nature of the evil one, Satan. Okay? 
because there there are characters, okay? Because every person is made in the image of God and some are going to go through the tribulation period. Not all. And Satan is a key character, as you might imagine, during this period. Okay? And of course, who else? God. It's for his purposes that this period is uh, even instituted. See, without biblical truth, we have very little discernment. So if we don't know what the Bible says, we, we, can, be very, we can confuse people. And, and uh, one of our roles as ministers of the gospel, because everybody here uh, is a saint, right? St. Brenda? Uh, exactly right. We are saints because the Bible tells us so. And we are, we are also priests. Uh-oh. See, I know you were just getting used to the saint thing, but now all of a sudden, you know, see, the Bible says that we're priests too. We, and I would suggest that we could paraphrase that and say we are ministers of the gospel. Okay? Share your testimony with somebody and you're ministering to them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay? Share the truth of what we learned in end times prophecy if somebody is interested in that and you are sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's all inclusive. It's all inclusive. And so, um, you know, we need to know and understand God's wrath. Why? To avoid it. <laughs> <laughs> to avoid it. That's, that's a good answer, Marvin. Okay. It makes us grateful, more grateful than maybe we would be if we didn't realize what we don't have. Amen, brother. We would, how could you not be grateful when you understand God's wrath because so what is the what is the wrath of God it's against sin yes yes we have and his wrath is going to be poured out on an evil and sinful world that's what the tribulation looks like it's God's wrath part of it and so whew, that's heavy okay we're not going to be there. Nonetheless, that's heavy. That needs to that, that that should impact our hearts for those that just want to blow that off. It should impact our hearts for those that just want to blow that off. See, one of the things that's not right is churches today don't teach the hard stuff. Why? Because it's not popular. It's hard. I like the love part. The wrath part, not so much. So let's just talk about love. Everybody's in. Let's just, can't we all just get along? Well, the answer is no. I mean, biblically, the answer is no. So it's the whole Word of God, the whole counsel of God that's important. And so the, the rapture is imminent. Can I add one thing to that verse that we looked at there at verse 16? All scripture is given by inspiration of God and so on. But the first part of verse 17 answers the question that the man of God may be complete. That's why he wants that to happen in our lives so we'll be complete. Scripture, isn't that, a, isn't that kind of a cool thought? 
that God's word, in at least one sense, completes us. It certainly some of the verse some versions say equip, some say complete. Equip. There's equip and complete. That's what the the man made. The man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Yeah. That's good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, the rapture is imminent. It's going to take place. That's biblical. Isn't it? Good. See, the signs are all around us that this is going to take place. Probably sooner rather than later, because that's if you if you if you look at scripture about the signs, um, they're all around us. And yet, Olivia a couple of weeks ago very astutely pointed out that yeah, but they said that two thousand years ago too. And you are absolutely right. The end is near. I was at Balboa Park on Saturday, um, and uh, I was um, with a, a. Doesn't matter why I was there. I was at Balboa Park on Saturday, and there was a there was a church group down there, and it was fascinating. I heard this yelling, and so I was attracted to the yelling. I wanted to see what was going on. We were walking between one museum and another, and I went down there, and it was a church group, and they had these big signs, big signs. Like I had a big pole, and it was on the ground, and it said. I, I wish I'd taken a picture, but I didn't. Um, and it said uh, one of the signs said uh, um, uh, that like the end is near, and the other one said Jesus Christ is Lord, and they were both uh, they were both true. They were both accurate. Um, and but what a commotion! I mean, it was really a commotion, and that attracted that attracted some other people that were uh, of like mind, uh, meaning that there was another fellow there that that um, that looked. Uh, kind of questionable, um, and he was um, he was apparently um, attempting to persuade people to come to Christ by screaming the book of Revelation, and I I just found it really interesting uh, because it was very annoying to the people that were walking by, and it had just. I was just interested because it appeared to me as though it had just the opposite effect of what they were attempting to to convey, just by the tactic. It's it's really fascinating as we think about um, uh, the signs being around us and uh, not being complacent. Well, they weren't being complacent. They were telling people to come to Jesus because the end is near. Okay, uh, but they were. It was an in-your-face event. Uh, as they were as they were trying to do it. And I just, uh, you know, my heart was actually heavy because I'm not built that way. Um, and it was just it was just interesting. Uh, they were sharing the truth in their way. Um, and uh, who, who knows uh, how God was was going to use that. But I, I, I say that in terms of being alarmists or sensationalists. OK, because uh, Olivia points out that for 2000 years, people have been saying, hey, the end is near. And they're right. The end has been near. Um, and the Bible tells us what the signs of, of the, the nearness of the end really, really are. Um, and, um, uh, and, and so, you know, who's right? Well, they're both right. The end is near. The signs are clear. 
and the rapture is imminent. It could happen tonight. It could happen tonight. We need to know these things and God has taken us into His confidence. You realize that? As believers that are studying God's Word and more importantly, believing God has taken us into His confidence and He has revealed through the Holy Spirit these things that we're studying and learning and that are, that are true because they're biblical. They're not our opinion. They are true. It is God's Word. He has taken us into His confidence. People can read the Scriptures without the benefit of the Holy Spirit and it will be hogwash. Isn't that amazing? It's a supernatural thing. It is a supernatural book and the end times are a supernatural event. Okay? So it's important that we understand that. In terms of taking us into his confidence, he did the same thing with Abraham. Remember when he told Abraham, Hey Abraham, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Why would God tell Abraham that he was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah? Abraham didn't live there. He had a nephew there, but it didn't personally affect him. There was no personal implication other than, okay, Lot was there. I get that. Okay, And yet, you don't have to turn there, but Genesis 18, 17 says, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm going to do? Well, you know what? He's not hiding from us what he's going to do. He is not hiding from us. He has taken us into his confidence by sharing in his word precisely what he's going to do. And he's given us only what we need to know. Okay? Only what we need to know. So God's word, all of it, tells us not only what's going to happen, but how to live. But how to live. So, with all of that, are you ready for the tribulation? The study, not the... Not the event. <laughs> the study, not the event. We should be ready for the event, too. Yeah. We should be ready, as the scriptures tell us to be. So let's start in on the tribulation, because what does the word mean? You know, I like words. So the word tribulation literally means to press upon, um, to. Uh, press hard upon or or just pressure. That's what the word means. Interesting. The word doesn't mean the end of the world. A lot of people think the tribulation is the end of the world or the battle of Armageddon is the end of the world. Uh, I'm sorry to disappoint you. Neither one of those are true. Tribulation means to be pressed upon, pressed hard upon. And so, um, uh, so now we got to go back just for this one word. I promise this is the only one tonight. I'm going to do this to you. But in, in the Greek, okay, the, the word is philipsis. And, and that's where we get our English word. It translates tribulation. And what it means in English, is, as it is defined, is an affliction or an anguish, persecution, trouble, and burden. Oh, my gosh. That's pressure, isn't it? You ever have pressure in your life? That's pressure. That is pressure. So tribulation is this, this pressure. So show of hands, how many have taken a position 
on this tribulation period in terms of when it's going to happen as a pre-tribber, a mid-tribber, or a post-tribber. Who knows what those things mean? Okay, Doris has taken a position. Joanne's taking a position. Kathy? Okay, so one, two, three, four, five. We've got about five or six that have taken a position. Okay, seven. Eight. <laughs> okay, that's good. That's fair. Fair enough. That's interesting. So who really knows? God knows. And yet I would submit, I would submit, it's important to take a position. Ultimately to take a position. Because it changes the way you view life. It really can change the way you view life. That's one of the purposes behind this study of the tribulation period. Because tree pre-trib people believe that the rapture is going to happen before the tribulation and so Christians aren't going to go through it. The mid-trib people believe that the first three and a half years of the tribulation, which are actually pretty benign, the Antichrist is here and he's a cool dude, or at least it appears as, as though, and he is solving a whole bunch of problems and uh, it looks like, wow, this is a leader we can all get behind. It's actually not so bad. I mean, on a comparative basis to what the last three and a half years of the tribulation look like. So some people believe that before the before all hell breaks loose, if you'll allow me to, to, to use that term, if um, some people believe that the church is going to go through that first three and a half years and then poof, they'll be raptured at that point. And then there are some, uh, in a, in a, uh, the reformers believe, that the entire church is going to go through the tribulation period. And that's going to be the refining process. And I think that we're going to see... Um, uh, just what God's word says about that, because it's important, I think, to to at least get comfortable with coming with having a position. OK, even if you're unsure, that's OK. Right. It may be a, uh, if you believe that you're going to be taken out before the tribulation, it might make you a little bit comfortable and not realize that we still could go through a lot of hard times in America even. You know, I don't think America's going to be immune from everything. And, uh, you might even think it might be the tribulation, but you know God's going to take you through. I mean, we believe that God's going to take us through our hard times, but we don't want to get complacent about thinking that it's going to be all good for us before we die. And that's a that's a very valid and interesting argument that if we're, if you take a pre-tribulation position based on what Scripture says, uh, it could make you comfortable. Hey, I'm in because what? We're in because if you're a believer, what's where are you going? Yeah. But the only question is when. Okay. Okay. Scotty. I won't say I've fallen a preacher, uh, yeah. but I think it's also important that no matter what camp you fall in, it's God's plan. I mean, we might look at this and go, oh, look at all that evidence pointing to pre-trip. And uh, God has mid-trip or post-trip in mind. And so we just need to keep that in mind, whatever camp that you fall into, that it's God's But we can do the best we can through interpretation right. to fall into the 
and, and, and that's a good point, Scotty. And I think that, I think that when we're taking a look uh, at end times theology as good, solid eschatologists that we are, uh, we have to take a look at all the evidence that is presented in Scripture. And so as we take a look at the evidence, uh, some things are presented to us in a, in a matter of principle. Okay? Because we, we're, not given, uh, we're not given direct information uh, from God's Word. It's a little less direct. But there are principles that we can apply. And, so, uh, and there are some things that, that aren't possible to interpret uh, literally. And so... Uh, and, and that's a whole other realm of biblical interpretation that we have to go through. Um, and, and the important thing is that we know and that we study and that we allow the Spirit to speak. Um, and, uh, and then we, uh, is it absolutely critical that we come down on one position or another, pre, mid, or post? Is it absolutely critical? No, no it's not. Because it's not essential. What's essential is believing that it's going to happen because God's word says it's going to happen. The and chronology. And also to be prepared. Absolutely. Does it make any difference whether you pre-print, pre-made, or post? As long as you're prepared. That's right. Yeah, and the ultimate, uh, the ultimate decision that we make in terms of preparation for for the for the uh, tribulation period or the or the rapture of the church is what. Your faith in Christ. The, the, the primary thing that we have to do to be ready, if you're a pre-tripper especially, um, there's, there's only one thing that is going to prevent you uh, from, from going through the tribulation period and the horrific uh, 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 judgments that are going to, that the wrath that God is going to pour out on the earth. And that is, if you're a pre-tripper, putting your faith in Jesus Christ, you would be in the position that the church, the church is going to be raptured and you're not going to go through the, the tribulation period. <laughs> not every religion is going to do that. <laughs> uh, and there's something that Scripture says about that as well. So, um, and, and you don't have to turn to these uh, in the interest of time, but, but um, just, to, just to move forward, you know, the, the, the types of tribulation that we're going to experience uh, and the type of tribulation that people are going to experience in the tribulation are interestingly similar. Because we used the example last week of, 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 of a woman in childbirth, okay? And that's physically taxing, right? Uh, and then at the end of that, there's joy. But it, there, that is a physical tribulation that you go through um, that wasn't God's original design, by the way. And so yet, you ladies know that better than certainly we will ever know. And then there's emotional and relational tribulation, is there not? I'm reminded of, of Philippians, and again, you can turn there if you want, but you don't need to. Philippians 4.12 um, talks about, uh, uh, Paul says that I know how to get along with humble means, and I know how to live in prosperity in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret, secret of being filled and going hungry, both and of having abundance and of suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. He was... He was living in affliction. He was, he, he didn't have anything. You know, this is a man that spent a lot of time chained to people because of his faith. Okay? And so, uh, you know, that, that was a lot of emotional distress that was going on there. Think about the tribulation period. Um, before you even know what the events are that we're going to study, there is going to be horrific emotional distress. And then what about relational distress? There isn't a person sitting in this room 
that hasn't had relational distress because 100% of every person on the planet has had an issue with somebody that they love. That or you're not breathing. <laughs> That's the way it is. And so because of that, if you look at 2 Corinthians 2.4, uh, that says this, For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears, not so that you would be made sorrowful, but that you might know the love which I have especially for you. I mean, listen to the language there. That, you know, there were problems in the church at Corinth and, 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 and these words are saying, oh, I just, you know, my love for you is so intense, but I, you know, I've been hurt. I've been hurt by what I'm hearing you're doing and you're saying and, 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 and I can't be there right now. And it, there's pain. There's pain. It's relational pain. Think about that in the context of our relationship with the Lord as it relates to tribulation. And Acts 14.22b says, Through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. These are real tribulations. And now we get to the hard stuff. Because Isaiah 24, the entire chapter in, of Isaiah 24, and I, I have just paraphrased some of it, and we're going to set up the tribulation period this way with Isaiah 24. And I'm going to read selected verses out of Isaiah 24. It says this. Speaking of tribulation. The tribulation. The earth is defiled by its people. They have disobeyed the laws, violated the statutes, and broken the everlasting covenant. Therefore, a curse consumes the earth. Its people must bear their guilt. Therefore, earth's inhabitants are burned up and very few are left. All joyful sounds are banished from the earth. All joy turns to gloom. All joyful sounds are banished from the earth. That feels personal. Doesn't it? I mean, we've experienced some tribulation in our life. But Isaiah is saying that things are burned up. Nothing is right. Joy is gone. Nothing but sorrow. Gloom. And how about Zephaniah? There's, there's a book that we don't go to very often. Wait, that one's a hard one to find. You've got to keep going through all the Old Testament and get really close to the end before you find that one. But the prophet is speaking about the end times. And just listen to this. Just listen. I will completely remove all things from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. Time out. I will completely remove all things from the earth, declares the Lord. That's pretty serious business if you're on the earth. 
one. Continuing, a day of wrath is that day. Wrath is divine chastisement. Okay? God's wrath. See, this is the hard stuff. Okay? Because God is a loving God. And do you realize that God's wrath comes from a jealous love? It doesn't seem right, does it? But that's exactly what it is. God is a jealous God. He wants everybody to just fall in love with Christ Jesus. He wants that none would perish, is, is what he says. That none would perish. And yet, look at what's happened. Over all this time, right, Olivia? All this time, people just have rejected Jesus. You would think if the truth were known, that churches would be filled. There would have to be a church on every corner in every town. That's what we would think. So that we could worship the Lord for who He is and what He's done. And yet... A day of wrath is that day. A day of trouble. Listen, a day of trouble and distress. A day of destruction and desolation. A day of darkness and gloom. A day of clouds and thick darkness. We're not talking about a specific day. We're talking about this tribulation time, the end times. Neither their silver nor their gold will be able to deliver them on the day of the Lord's wrath. You're not going to buy your way out. There's no way out. And all the earth will be devoured in the fire of his jealousy. For he will make a complete end. Indeed, a terrifying one of all the inhabitants of the earth. These are not pleasant thoughts. See, if you can read these things prophetically that are going to take place and be unaffected by them, even though you're not going to participate in them, something's really wrong. Something's wrong. Because we're called to love people, and so to the extent that even God doesn't want any of these things to happen to any of these people. What does he say? That not one would perish. Just listen. Just listen, my love for you, my son, Christ Jesus, that came and sacrificed everything for you. And yet God knows who will and who will not answer the call. Everyone is called. So we know from the prophets, we know from the New Testament Gospels, we know from, um, from the, the epistles, Daniel, Revelation, the whole of Scripture that the tribulation is coming and it's going to be a seven year period. Seven years of tribulation. And then, the second coming of Jesus Christ. That's what the Scripture teaches. Some would argue the chronology. Pre, mid, post. Okay, <laughs> Those are words we're going to throw around a little bit here. Pre-trib, mid-trib, Post-trip. Now, there's other theories out there, too, but they're way not popular. So we're going to stick with the three most popular. Okay. So this period begins, as we've already discussed, with this covenant that the evil one makes, the Antichrist makes, 
He doesn't look like an antichrist when he first comes on the scene because he makes this covenant with Israel that there's going to be peace. I love that because we're living right now, even though for 2,000 years, Olivia, they've been saying, oh, the end is near and, you know, it's going to, and, and the rapture could happen at almost any time. Uh, and, and then there's this knucklehead sitting up here saying, oh, the end is near and the rapture could happen at any time. But it's, wait a minute, isn't it 2,000 years later? Yeah, it sure is. And yet, look at the signs that have, that have taken place that hadn't taken place then. Look at all of the evidence to support um, that that the rapture could happen at any time. And this great world leader shows up on the scene because now I'd like you to think with me that the rapture has taken place. We're gone. And he is going to be all the things that the scriptures say he is going to be. He is going to be he is going to be so fantastic that nobody has ever the world has never seen a man like this before. He's going to do miraculous things as first a peacemaker. Think about it. Someone comes on the scene today. They're, they're, they're throwing like, I forget what the number is now. Um, uh, most recently, on average, that Hamas is bombing Israel. They're pretty inept, by the way, at it. But nonetheless... They're bombing Israel. Little tiny Israel. I mean, Israel is a little blip on the planet. It's this little piece of dirt. It's not even a very attractive place. Um, and there it is. And everybody around them is wanting to hurl bombs. And, and Iran and, well, most of the Middle East nations would like to just annihilate them. They need to be removed from the planet. That's the first time in history that all of these countries around this little tiny place called Israel on the map. Look it up sometime. Look on the map. It's a tiny little place. It seems so insignificant unless you're a Christian or a Jew. But it seems so significant as a piece of dirt. And yet it's the most, it's the most significant piece of dirt that's ever been talked about, prophesied about, or fought over. And this guy is going to come along and make peace. And they're going to go, whoa, dude, where'd he come from? Because he's going to come out of nowhere. It's just going to be like, wow, who is this guy? My favorite movie, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. I always liked that when they were being chased by the guy that was the tracker. And they kept looking at who are those guys? <laughs> they kept saying, you know, and that's what it's going to be like. Who is this guy? Because it's going to be real serious. Remember, the church is gone. Lots of people are, have left. And so there he is, and he's, he's fixing lots of stuff. Miraculously, he's fixing lots, lots of stuff. Even though God's judgment is beginning to take place during this period. God's judgment is beginning to take place, and we're going to look at that next week. So the Antichrist reign for the first three and a half years is pretty positive. It's pretty positive. But how will the terror begin? Because if there's a peace treaty in place and they're not hurling bombs at Israel and Iran says, hey, you know what? Take my nuclear weapons. Don't need them. And it'll be verifiable. I'm telling you, it's going to be like wide open. And what's going to happen is, is that all this stuff is going to be very transparent and this antichrist is going to everything is going to be attributed to his his prowess 
his abilities. He's going to be quite the guy. Popular like he is going to be more popular by far than Jesus Christ was when he was walking the earth. By far. Because everybody will be attracted to him. Never seen anything like that before. And of course, after is different. But before this, nothing will have have been like this. Turn to Revelation 13, 3. Because things are going to change after three and a half years of this of, of miracles taking place. Mir- miraculous things are going to be happening on the earth. And they're going to be coming in and through this, this man that the Bible calls the Antichrist. If somebody would read Revelation 13, 3 and 4, please. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. So they worshipped the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast who is able to make war with him? And uh, somebody else would read, or if you want to, that's okay too, Marvin. Uh, Revelation 17, 8. The beast that you saw was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they see the beast that was and is not and yet is. Confusing language, isn't it? As you can see. Yeah, it's confusing language in Revelation. I love Revelation because it makes me scratch my head a lot. That's where most of my hair has gone recently. It's it's been wiped off my head. I scratch it and, um, you know, it's amazing. You take one verse and and, I end up looking at it. And and three hours later, I'm still scratching my head. I haven't studied enough. It's just amazing. But in Revelation 13, 3, it says this. It says that, and these are revelations that were given to John. Remember the book of Revelation. John was sitting there, and and how was how was this revelation given to John? Somebody. He was on the Isle of Patmos, and Doris. Huh. Interesting, isn't it? There's direct communication in this language, <coughs> apocalyptic language, not the way we talk. It's not the way we talk. And so, boy, we really have to look closely at this so that we can uh, understand what God is trying to communicate to us because that's exactly what he's doing. So, Revelation 13.3, this is all in the context of the tribulation period and specifically the Antichrist. It says, one of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound. The Antichrist is killed. Had had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was filled with wonder and followed the beast. Hang on a second. Let's reel this thing back in and let's go to the other Revelation passage just a few chapters later that says, The beast that you saw 
was. He was. What is was? Past tense. Thank you. The beast that you saw, that's the same beast in Revelation 13. The beast that you saw was and is not. What is is not? He isn't. He's not there. Okay? Translation? Dead. He's dead. He is not. And he will ascend. Ascend. I'm a pilot. Okay? Ascend means go up. And descend means I'm coming down. Usually for a landing, hopefully. He is going to ascend from where? Yeah, the abyss, the bottomless pit, and he's going to go to perdition. I love that word. Anybody know what the word perdition means? Eternal destruction. So Revelation 17, 8 is saying that the beast you saw, he was. There he was. The Antichrist was there. And then something happened. I don't know what happened. God doesn't tell us what happened. Maybe he's assassinated. Maybe some... I don't know. It's pure speculation. There's nothing biblical about what I'm about to say. Somehow or another, this man is killed. Because the word that is used means a violent death. In the original language. Not just... Okay, he didn't have a heart attack. Uh, he didn't die of AIDS. There's no indication that it was anything other than something very violent. That's all we know because that's the nature of the word. The Antichrist dies a violent death. That's the language that's used. And then he ascends. Where did he go when he died that violent death? Go ahead, say the word. Okay, what else do we call it? Hey, okay. Hell. Just just say it. Go ahead. We're in church. You can say hell. That's interesting, isn't it? This is the Antichrist. Now, who knows that? And who else? And we know. Because it's written. This is fascinating stuff. The Antichrist is on the earth doing all these miraculous things. And I'm telling you, people are going, woo-hoo. The Savior has come. All of a sudden, he dies, a, we don't know how, a violent death. I mean, it's violent. And people are going, whoa. Think about it. If you're there and the Savior of the world, this is a person that brokered a peace treaty. Everything is going along pretty good because there's a whole bunch of people that are gone. And so the world is in is in shambles. And this guy is pulling it together. And it's working really well. And then he dies a violent death. <laughs> yeah, because because this man is a man that has affected the whole world. Not a country. The whole world is being changed by this man. And so he dies a violent death. Scripture tells us he goes into the abyss. But then what? He comes out. He is resurrected. That question that we asked at the beginning of the night, does the Antichrist die and is he resurrected? Yes. That's exactly what happens. Antichrist. I want you to think of the definition of that. Opposed to, opposite of, or instead of. 
That's the definition. Think about it. Wow. Instead of Jesus, we have this Antichrist. Now, that raises some really interesting questions. Does Satan have the power to raise someone from the dead? The Bible says it happens. That's an interesting question. He's, say that again more loudly. He's powerful in the sense that God allows him. <coughs> yeah, incredible power. You know, power that the world has never seen. This Antichrist has power that the world has never seen. And it's allowed. We don't know how. We don't know how. We just know what. The what is, it happens. Think about those that are on the earth during this time. See, he's got a following. People are enamored. See, when think about this on a comparative basis to Jesus. Isn't this just like Satan? Isn't it just like Satan to say, hey, let's just do what Jesus did. Because Jesus and those 12 knuckleheads changed the world. And they're all gone. So why don't we just do the same thing? Let's have our Messiah raised from the dead. I don't know how that happened. I, I'm just saying that. Think about it. If you're here and it's kind of like, whoa, I already had pretty high regard for this guy. And then he died and he was resurrected. Amen, sister. Because that's exactly what happens. That's exactly what happens. Because then what happens is that after this three and a half year of relative benign uh, activity in the tribulation, uh, this is when all hell breaks loose. Because in the original language, this violent act of his death and then and then him going into the abyss, nobody's going to know that he's gone into the abyss. It's, there's going to be very few people that are reading their Bible during this time. There will be some. But most of us that were Bible readers are going to be gone. Okay? And so this great mourning for this person is going to take place and yet in revelation 17 it says he goes to the bottom of the, of the to the to the bottomless pit for a time and we don't know if that's 2 days 2 weeks 2 years or 2 millennium we have no clue how long that is and the bible isn't even very clear it doesn't even give us much in the way of principle to look at here in terms of that time uh, if i had to guess i would guess that it's a short time why because the tribulation is 7 years so that's the clue that we have. So we, we know it's not going to be two millennium. <laughs> okay. It's going to be it's going to be a fairly short period of time because it has to fit within the tribulation period. So there he is. And so so some believe that this whole thing is being faked. Some theologians believe that it doesn't actually happen, but it's more like the lunar landing on the moon. You know how that was faked? That's a joke. But some, some people, there are people out there that believe that they did that in a recording studio someplace. Okay? And so, uh, you know, I don't know, I wasn't there. But um, I'm telling you, some people believe this is fake. How do we know it's not? As the Bible says. It's that simple. It is that simple. It is written. It is clear. It is literal. Okay, so that's what happens. And so we have these questions that are raised in terms of how Satan might have the power to do that. And we're going to see that the Bible tells us that later on. 
one of the questions last week, uh, and we're probably not going to be able to do it complete justice before we leave here tonight, was the the um, uh, the, the chronology of the events relative to could the rapture happen now? And some of you said yes, and and some said uh, no, and some said I don't know. And so one of the questions on the on my sheet, and actually came up, and a couple of people have asked me about it, is um, doesn't the temple need to be rebuilt? Because the next thing that is going to happen in this last three and a half year period in the tribulation is the Antichrist is going to go to the temple and he is going to he is going to go to the temple and proclaim that he is God. That's what's going to happen. And so uh, and let me tell you, a lot of people are going to go. He's right. Because he just died. He was who? How could it be anything else? Don't be uninformed. Don't be uninformed. Because if you are, boy, how easy would it be to believe that this man that just solved a whole bunch of world problems and had a following and was articulate and brilliant and good-looking and all of this stuff and he had died a violent death, I don't know, assassination, we're not told, whatever it is, and then he comes back from the dead and people see and know that this happened? Are you kidding me? That's got to be God. Doesn't it though? Yeah. Antichrist, opposed to Christ, instead of Christ. Boy, that's going to raise some questions because there's going to be some people going through the tribulation that were sitting in church. There are going to be people going through the tribulation that were sitting in church. Now, I don't say that to scare you. I'm just saying that, hey, is Jesus Christ Lord or not? It's a simple question. <laughs> and if it is, if Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life, woohoo, don't worry about it. If he's not, worry about it. And worry about everybody else that's out there that has that has rejected that truth because they're going to experience this and they're going to believe that the Antichrist, if they're alive at that time, is God because he's going to proclaim to be God. And so we have to have the Antichrist go to the temple because the Bible says that the Antichrist is going to go to the temple and proclaim to be God. And that's when all hell is really going to start to break loose, is when he goes to the temple and he proclaims to be God. So how important is the temple? And how important is it for us to understand what, what, the, what the temple is? It's really important. It's, in fact, it's critical because the temple is a, central, is a central place, like Satan and the Antichrist are central people in the tribulation. The temple is a critical thing. And if we don't understand that then, then, we, then, then we, we're going to be lost. Okay? And so the temple is critical. So what do we know about the temple? Generally. It's, a, it's God's temple. It's the place of worship, of sacrifice um, for, for the Jews. I heard a rabbi say that they could build that temple in a couple of months because they have all the equipment and the menorah and everything that goes in it already made. Yeah. And, the, and the, it would be very easy just to put up the walls and build a temple. temple. It wasn't look like Solomon's temple, but it could be used. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, well, that's really interesting because uh, because that's absolutely true. Because uh, for about the last 25 years, there's been a group in Israel that has been uh, putting together all of the uh, based on the Old Testament uh, um, uh, description uh, and uh, admonition of the Lord to have these, uh, uh, for lack of a better term, I'll call them tools uh, in the temple. And for 25 years, there's been a group in Israel that has been putting all of that together, waiting and ready for when their temple is rebuilt. And they're going to be they're going to be in it with everything they need that fast. All they have to do is build it. And Matthew 25 or 24 or 15 says this. So when you see standing in the holy place, that's the temple. The abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. And he's talking about what is the abomination that causes desolation? The abomination is the Antichrist standing in the temple claiming to be God. That's a desecration of the temple. This is a holy place. Remember how the holy of holies that only the priest could enter and once a year at that I mean, this is a holy place that God instituted. This is everything about the Jewish religion. The, the temple is critical. And so what we see in Daniel is that, is that this, this in the middle, it says, in fact, I'll just read Daniel 9.27 again. He says, he will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. The covenant is with Israel for one seven. Okay, that's one seven is seven years. In the middle of the seven, that's three and a half years in, it says that he will put an end to sacrifice and offering, suggesting that there will be sacrifices again. We don't know if they're going to be literal animal sacrifices, but that's the implication. So it seems reasonable that they are because what do the Jews want? They want to go back to what they had. It was taken away. And so it certainly could be more than likely will be not positive of that. But nonetheless, the Antichrist is going to take that away from them and then he will set up the abomination that causes desolation until the end is decreed, that is decreed, is poured out on him. So he's going to go claim to be God and after the Jews have this temple built and they're back and they're, and they're sacrificing and they're worshiping God the way uh, in their legalistic, legalistic system of things, the, uh, the Antichrist is going to take that away in the middle of the seven year tribulation. And so what do we know about the temple that's really important? When was the temple built initially? And by whom? Solomon. Solomon. Okay. And so Solomon in First Kings built this temple and it was huge and it was magnificent because there were no obstacles. Okay. Solomon just built this thing the way God told him to build it and it was magnificent. Gold lined everything. It was quite the place. It was quite the place. But then it was destroyed by the Babylonians. Okay? The temple was destroyed by the Babylonians. What did they do next? They built another one. It wasn't as big. It wasn't as elaborate. Okay? But they rebuilt it. And that one lasted for about 500 years. That one lasted a long time because the first temple didn't last very long. Before it was destroyed. The second one was built and it lasted about 500 years. What happened to that one? When? The point is they destroyed that one. Yeah, yeah. And then there was another one, wasn't there? The ruins of which you can see today. Now, I haven't been there, but I've seen pictures. Okay. And so then they built another one. When did they finish building that one? 
Anybody remember? I know you know when it was destroyed. But do you remember when it was? First of all, it took 83 years to build this thing. It took 83 years to build this temple. And it was destroyed when? 70 AD. It was destroyed in 70 AD. It was finished in 64. The temple was there for six years and it was destroyed. I'm telling you, the Jewish people have had a tough time with temples. Okay? This is a problem. I'm telling you, it's a problem. This is just, it's historical fact. This is important. It's central to the Jewish religion. The temple is critical. There, the Solomon's temple destroyed. It was the most magnificent thing on the planet. Destroyed. They rebuilt a smaller one thinking, well, maybe we can deal with this. It lasted 500 500 years. They thought, okay, this is probably going to work. It was destroyed. They built another one. took them 83 years to build it. And it lasted six years. It was destroyed in 70 AD. And then for 2,000 years, what? There's been no temple. And yet the Antichrist has to go to the temple to desecrate it. But it doesn't exist. How in the world then could the rapture take place if that's a prophecy that says that the Antichrist has to go to the temple to desecrate it because he is going to claim to be God in that holy place? How could the rapture happen? The temple isn't built. Think about it for a second. How is the temple going to be built? What's there now? Where the temple, where, what is where the temple that the Jews want to build? The Dome of the Rock, that big gold-covered thing. It's sitting on the place where the Jews... What do you think they've been fighting for for 2,000 years? They want to build their temple on that place and they won't take no for an answer. Come hell or high water, they're going to build the temple at the Dome of the Rock. What would happen tomorrow if they decided that they were going to try to extricate the Muslims and rebuild their temple there? Middle East War. World War Three. I mean, I'm no prophet, but it would be horrific. That's what this has been all about. All the craziness that's going on over there with this little tiny landmass that's just dirt and rocks and, and stuff happens to be the most significant landmass in the history of the world. And yet, it's all about the Dome of the Rock, which the Muslims put. Why? Why did they put it there? Huh. Imagine that. And what do the Jews want? They want to put the temple there. Why? Because it was there to begin with. There is no compromise. There is no compromise. The, the, it is critical. The temple is critical because it is a central focal point of the end time tribulation period. And there is a Muslim mosque sitting exactly on the place where the Jews want to rebuild the temple and they feel they must. It can't be next door, across the street, down the road, or anywhere else. It can't be. It has to be there. That's right. Because to be obedient to God, they have to put the temple where the temple is supposed to be. And in their world, that's, that's the end of it. Okay. Remember, these are the people that can't walk more than the, the prescribed number of steps on the Sabbath. Okay. The Ten Commandments turned into 613. They do what they're told to do. Even in their disobedience. 
And so the temple is critical and the Antichrist knows this well. Now, how do we get raptured without that taking place? Because the, the tribulation is only seven years. It took them 83 years to build it the last time. 83. There were, there were, by one account, there were hundreds of thousands of men working on this building. Okay, they didn't have any mechanical things. All right. Okay. But did it say they were going to rebuild it totally or they were going to start it? Does it say? We'll get there. It has to be complete. The temple has to be complete. Seven years. Well, that's the inside stuff. They got to build the outside. Seems to me like they got to tear down a mosque. How could that happen? So there you have it. One possibility is that the temple doesn't get rebuilt before the rapture. It could, it's almost, if you think about it, in our human minds, which are quite frail and quite small, how is this going to happen before the rapture? Without cre- I'm telling you, the, the Dome of the Rock is the most significant piece of real estate on the planet. And if anything happens there, there is going to be there is going to be nuclear war over that. The restrainer is not allowing these things to take place. Can't. It can't happen. It can't happen. Because this is a supernatural event. <coughs> and and if we take a look sequentially at what has to happen. Could it be rebuilt? Of course it's possible. With God, all things are possible. Is the probability that the temple is going to be rebuilt before the, before the rapture, is it probable? No, it's highly unlikely. Because that's the, that's the genesis of all the angst in the entire Middle East. The whole world is warring. The African continent is involved. The whole world. And we are so isolated here. We're, we're just like, we're, we're rich, fat, dumb, and happy. That's what we are. Biblically and every other way, aren't we? I mean, really, if we stop and think about it. Because we don't understand the mindset. I'm not a Muslim. I don't understand that mindset. I'm not a Jew. I don't understand that mindset. I have Scripture. And Scripture says... The temple must be rebuilt because the Antichrist is going to go there and desecrate it, which is going to be the initiation of the second half of the tribulation, which we're going to look at next week, which is beginning with the judgments and all the horrific things that people are going to go through on the planet. And the suggestion is that the rapture could happen tonight because it's possible and probably likely, although not confirmed biblically, but probably likely that the that what the Antichrist ushers in, which is this peace, absolute peace, like and he's got a world following, a world following. And remember, there's peace. The Bible says un 
parallel. You know what that means in the original language? Unparalleled. Never happened before. It's a piece that's never happened before. It's unimaginable. And this piece is going to be such that, think about it. He has the power to bring the Muslims and the Jews that hate each other and have for a really long time together to somehow remove the mosque and maybe put it someplace else, I don't know, and build the temple there and have it happen quickly because there isn't a Jew on the planet that wouldn't want to be there helping and there's 14 million of them on the planet right now. Yeah. 7 million live in Israel. Seven million, the other 7 million are spread around, most of which live here in the United States. I'm telling you, if that were to happen and the Christians were raptured, there isn't a Jew that wouldn't want to get on an airplane and get to... To, to Jerusalem and, and rebuild that temple and be part of the 14 million man crew that's going to put that thing together in a matter of maybe weeks. And they've already got everything else ready, essentially. It's possible. In fact, biblically, likely. So now you know. I'm a pre-tribber. I believe that the church will be raptured and that the temple will be rebuilt during the tribulation. More than likely the first half because the second half is when he enters. the. This is a horrific religious thing. When he enters the temple and declares himself God. Because when he declares himself God is when he ultimately has the, the, the full power because all restraint is removed, which is where we begin next time we get together. All restraint removed. Prepare yourself because when we look at the bold judgments, the trumpet judgments, when we look at the judgments of God, that's the wrath of God. But then we have to also look at what the Antichrist does during that last half of the tribulation. It's horrific. I'm so glad we're not going to be there. There will be those that are still here that do come to Christ. That's exactly right. And we will look at that next week as well. There, there are tribulation saints. So rest assured that you, there will be an opportunity to come to Christ in the tribulation period because, because people do. And who's there? They're not a Christian there. All the Christians are gone. And, and it won't be pretty and it will be difficult, but we're going to look at we're going to look at some scripture reference that talks about about the tribulation saints. Um, but when you there's one hundred and forty four thousand will we have to we have to start there. They're Jews. But but there will be people that come to Christ in the tribulation period. In fact, there will be a lot. But uh, according to according to scripture, but before we let that cat out of the bag, I think we need to have everything that we've talked about tonight resonate because the Antichrist and the temple are critical to what happens next. What happens next? Because, again, that's where really all hell breaks loose. And that's where really we have to have a heart for those that might be experiencing that because they're either going to experience it. Because they're here when the rapture takes place. Or they will have died without Christ, which is just as horrific.
just as horrific because that is an eternity. An eternity. So one, one thing. The uh, one thing that certainly would facilitate the Antichrist uh, getting his message out is only being around for maybe a hundred years, and that's the communications we have now. Mm-hmm. If you if we're looking at just what what exists in the world now between television, it can reach the whole world. Radio reach the whole world, whereas before. How would they get, you know, how could he get these people hooked, you know, so to speak? That part of uh, the Antichrist coming is in place. And not only that, Marvin, but we have to stop and think about this. And that is, is that, you know, you know how scripture says in the, uh, let me, let's zoom forward to the second coming of Christ. Uh, I I heard a, I heard a TV preacher, I I'm addicted to the TV preacher guys, but anyway, <clears throat> I heard a TV preacher guy say um, uh, that uh, the same thing. Well, when Jesus comes, you know, it's going to be everybody's going to be able to see because there's television and there's internet and there's. Dude, are you reading the same Bible I'm reading? Because you're not going to need TV and you're not going to yeah. need the internet. <laughs> because the Bible clearly says that everybody. Okay, yeah. Now, you know, if, if you're sleeping uh, at the time, you will be awakened, trust me. Um, and yet, at the same time, um, <clears throat> there are supernatural things that are happening when the Antichrist is here. Is it possible that when the restrainer is removed, I'll in, that, is, that is the Holy Spirit and the church, because the church is part of what's restraining Satan from having full ground. Okay? Because there's a spiritual battle, and we're on the right side of that battle. But when the church is gone, and when the Holy Spirit is gone, and when the supernatural activity, because uh, because of of the power that the Antichrist has, and and we're going to look at where that comes from next week, uh, supernatural things could be happening that may not even require TV or right. internet or any of those things. And so that's why that's why Olivia, I, I love it because you know when we have that discussion about boy, they've been saying this for a really long time. Well, guess what? There are so many supernatural... This is supernatural, all of it. And so, uh, 500 years ago, the same things could have happened without TV and without the Internet and without communication because it's supernatural. That's the part that's very difficult for us to grasp. But anyway, we'll, we'll end um, because it's five after eight. <laughs> and we have to be... Church is a church of order, Right? So we have to be orderly. So uh, I don't want to uh, leave, you know, please don't leave on a, in, on a downer, actually, because even though these are, these are challenging things, uh, really, um, <clears throat> we have Christ. We have Christ. And we get to share Christ with others. Yeah, and we should. And we should. Um, so that no one would have to go through any of these events. So that no one would have to go through any of these events. So sharing our life and, and our love for Christ and His love for us is, is, that's it. That's what we're to do. That's what we're to do. But we're to understand this and not be ignorant of the, of the facts, of the biblical truth. So. I know. Can't we stay long?
<laughs> oh, Brenda. I love you, Brenda. <laughs> We're on the same page, girl. <laughs> we'll pick up next week. Right from there. With even more scripture. So, um, Scotty, would you close us?